how do I help myself or my friend who's struggling with clinical depression? Let's talk about that next on the Monday Christian Podcast. listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there, and welcome to another edition of the Monday Christian Podcast. Great to have you on board again. And as you know, on this program, we try to cover a wide range of topics that impact Christians at just a variety of levels, and uh, we've covered topics from inner-city ministry to mission field topics, and today we're hitting on the subject of depression. It's estimated roughly around 15% of Americans struggle with clinical depression. I'm guessing the, the percentages would probably be similar in Canada as well, and uh, just over the last year, I've talked to numbers of people in my Toronto community, East Scarborough, Ontario, the, the east side of Toronto, um, who have struggled severely with depression at, at one point in their life, or they know of friends and family members who are really going through it. So the questions are, what do I do if I'm struggling with depression? Who do I reach out to for help? Uh, what do I do if my friends or family members are struggling with depression? Today on our podcast, I've brought on my friend Marion Brown, and uh, Marion Brown um, she shares about how she went through a very, very dark time in her life and uh, how God incredibly helped her during that time to be able to get out of what she calls a black hole and to, as a result, um, use that as an opportunity to help other people. I think you're really, really going to enjoy this interview. And uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get right into it. Today on the podcast, uh, so great to have my friend Marianne Brown uh, coming to us and talking to us on a topic that um, sometimes isn't always the easiest for Christians to talk about, uh, the topic of depression. And Marianne, first, thank you so much for coming on and taking some time. Oh, thank you, and thank you for being brave enough to tackle a pretty, uh, pretty tough topic. Yeah, it's, it's not exactly, you know, if there were to be like something, you know, everyone says, around the kitchen table, I always hear this with people around Toronto, you know, stay away from religion, sports, politics, and uh, it seems like depression <laughs> is another one of those Better things that, that uh, yeah, you, you just, it's not the typical conversation you have around a dinner table, is it? <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> and um, before we get into all this, and I've, I've got a, just a sense that a number of people are going to listen that maybe are struggling with depression in different ranges and different scopes right now. And uh, before we get into all that, though, uh, just share a little bit about your upbringing. How did you first come to faith in Christ? Oh, sure. Um, I was uh, born and raised on a dairy farm in central Pennsylvania and um, was in church all of my life. Uh, I think I cut my teeth on the pews of the Canoe Creek Brethren in Christ Church. Uh, both sets of had godly, godly grandparents who loved me and prayed for me. But I actually, even after hearing uh, Christianity preached all of my life, I really didn't accept it for myself until I was 15. Uh, 
the few years leading up into to that point, I remember waking up in the morning, distinctly one morning, and looking at the wall of my bedroom and thinking, I have nothing to live for or to look forward to, and kind of started on this quest. And it wasn't long after that um, that I became a Christian and turned my life over to the Lord. And so um, that, of course, was, was a marked turning point in my life, and then uh, from that point on, just had a desire to um, learn who God was um, and to grow, and that's where where it started. Did you battle depression at all in the early years of your life, teenage years? You know, uh, was that ever an issue? Yeah, that's an interesting question because when I had my first um, foray uh, into depression and was diagnosed was in 2004. And at that point, it just, it really shocked me. Like, I'm depressed? Like, really? Like, we have a label for this? And then as my husband and I got to talking and I got to thinking back through uh, my life, I wouldn't say it was severe depression, but there were times, like I said, in those early teen years where there was just this sense of hopelessness, of lostness. Um, and then between my senior year of uh, high school and going to college, I hit a really, had something uh, very course-changing happen in my life and kind of turned things up on uh, upside down in my life and went through a pretty dark period. A lot of questions, a lot of, but yet I was functional. I got through that, the excitement of starting college kind of just carried me on through. Then I graduated from college um, and was heading into grad school and that summer was really, really difficult. Um, there were some things that had happened, some things I had looked forward to that never came to fruition, um, some goals that I had had that had been just, I'd come up against a brick wall. Um, and again, just really having the sense of something is wrong, something's not right, and just lack of joy, just couldn't really see light anywhere. But again, I was starting grad school, and kind of the excitement of that carried me on. Um, and so then I really didn't hit my first, at least diagnosed, bad spot until right after the birth of our first child when I was diagnosed with postpartum depression. So, you know, when that happened, it seemed to come out of the blue, but at the same time, I can actually look back and say, no, actually there were some other spots there that were were not good spots at all um, that probably should have had some intervention. Um, and so the, the, the postpartum depression after your first child, was that the worst to date in your life? No, actually, that was kind of the first time I was tipped off that um, I had some susceptibilities and needed to start studying, learning more about myself, learning about biology and chemistry and just how our bodies works and self-care um, and things like that. And then the worst uh, spot to date then happened in, in 2010. 
Uh, in fact, our lives are pretty much characterized pre-2010 and post-2010. Well, we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, before we do, why don't you define depression? How do you define that? I would define depression as, um, you know, you hear a lot of people who say when they've had a bad day, oh, I'm so depressed, or they had something that they'd planned, uh, you know, weekend plans and it fell through, or they bombed a test and, oh, I'm just so depressed. That's, oh, yeah, I heard that all the all my life growing <laughs> up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you've ever struggled with depression, that just is laughable. Um, depression to me is like this, it, it's, it's extreme. Um, that's the only way to characterize it. It's this extreme feeling of hopelessness, lostness, um, just overwhelmed with simple tasks, the thought of living, um, almost a complete absence of internal joy. Um, and I say it's extreme because it's like this big black hole that you find yourself in. And it doesn't matter where you look, there's no light um, at all. You know, the postpartum um, era that I went through, you've heard of the baby blues. And my husband and I had talked about those. We've read about those. And he just kind of scoffed at that. He's like, yeah, baby blues, that's like a big back black hole that swallowed you. Um, and that, that actually lasts for, it's not just a day or a couple hours. That's weeks on end, sometimes months. And for some people, it goes years um, of just this, oh, just this utter lostness. Um, usually that then goes hand in hand with like sleeping, insomnia problems, gastrointestinal problems, and then all the physical things that go along with that. Uh, trouble eating, so weight gain, weight loss, uh, headaches. And like we mentioned previously, sometimes that allows for functionality, and then sometimes it's so extreme that it's incapacitating. Um, you know, when you talk about some of the worst moments of depression, you mentioned 2010. Um, so you're, we'll certainly talk about that. Um, yeah. So what, let's just get real honest here. What were some of the lowest moments that you faced over the years with depression? And what, what do those look like? And, and maybe describe that to someone who, um, I think I read a statistic that maybe 15%, that might, that number might be wrong, but roughly around 15% of, I think it was Americans, um, suffer with clinical depression. Um, so speak to whether it's 85 or, or more than that, uh, 80, speak to the other group of people that haven't struggled with depression on that level. Uh, paint the picture for that. What's that look like? Sure. Um, the two episodes that I experienced were quite different. Um, 2004, I had a baby, beautiful, healthy baby boy. And what I expected was, was this sense of euphoria, of joy, of just, I mean, you've just welcomed your very first child, a new life into the world. And everybody always approaches it as, oh, this is such a happy moment. And within days, um, I thought, there, there's something wrong with me. Like, I'm overwhelmed. Um, changing diapers is a big deal. Learning how to feed this child. Um, he cries, and I'm not exactly sure what to do with him. And that's when um, things kind of headed south from there. And um, 
I ended up going to the doctor and just talking to her about it. And honestly, I look back now and laugh because I was actually in pretty good shape. <laughs> I was in pretty good shape then compared to where it was going to end up taking me. But then it led to these irrational fears. In fact, that's finally <clears throat> what led to me seeing my first ray of hope was uh, I really wasn't able to care for my son. And so my mother-in-law moved in with us to help take care of him and one day she had taken him somewhere or was gone and I answered the phone which probably was a mistake but it actually ended up being a godsend and it was a lady we live on a college campus and it was a um, fellow staff member who had called just to see how I was doing and I guess I don't remember the conversation, but I've talked to her since then, and some of the things I would say to her was like, they're going to come take my baby. They're going to find out I can't, I don't know how to be a mom, and they're going to take him. And wow. she, had, she had never experienced anything like that, but she did have a friend who had gone through that. And um, it wasn't long after I hung up from that phone call, she called her friend and her friend, who had I had never had a conversation with before, she had no, this lady knew my in-laws, but she called me and said, "I understand you've had a baby." And I said, "Yes." And she said, "So how are things going?" And in my desperation, I was actually honest with her, and I said, "Actually, things aren't going well at all." And she said, "Well, tell me a little bit of, about that. Like, what what part isn't going well?" And I said, I can't, I can't be a mom. I don't, I don't know how to be a mom, and, and I'm fearful that whoever these people are, I, am, I still don't know who these people were that were going to come take my baby away from me. But I said, I said, Lene, it's like you have lived all of your life for God, and you're assured you've accepted His gift of salvation. You have loved Him, and you have poured your life into serving him and serving others and you get to heaven and you're just you're so thrilled because you're going to get to meet him face to face and he looks at you and she said it's like he says to you he never knew you and I said yeah like I feel utterly and hopelessly lost and she said I know exactly what you're feeling and I'm like you do she said yep I've been there myself and that was the first time that I realized, oh, there really is a name to put on this. And there is hope because people have actually survived what I'm feeling right now. Uh, like I said, you just you feel extreme and you feel trapped really in your own mind. And that lady reaching... I. I thank God for her because I, I didn't know where to turn, what what to do. I mean, you. And you, at that time, that did that continue on? That continued on for uh, how? What period of time did that continue? I think you said two thousand and four. Was that right? That was two thousand and four. Yeah. You know, when you come, when you walk through the journey of depression, there isn't this linear upward trend. Okay. Um, there's the initial start of it and then you kind of enter this deep hole that you gradually take three steps forward, two steps back. That was my experience. 
Um, and so when she called me that day, and the, the really the only thing I remember was that she could finish, I would start a sentence and she could finish it, and she said to me, this won't last forever. And I hung on to that like a life raft. It won't last forever. In fact, I have actually since talked to postpartum moms and several of them have said to me, that's the most helpful thing that you said to me, was to assure me that this won't last forever. This is just a stage. It will end. You can't predict when or how, but it doesn't last forever. It's like our bodies cannot sustain any emotion for forever, even sadness. Um, but because this particular situation was hormonal, um, you just have to kind of learn to ride it out and let your body do what it needs to do to establish homeosynthesis um, and to work through that. Yeah. So I can look back at that journey and for three months it was was pretty bad but then there was kind of a turning point and then there was another level for about three months and finally at the end of a year I think I said to my husband I think it was about a year I said I'm starting to feel I think what is normal because that's another uh, thing of depression you can't remember what normal felt like anymore you can't remember what it felt like to be normal and um, mm. So at that point then is when I started saying, oh, okay. And with the second bout in 2010, um, that one kind of caught us off guard. Um, so let me just pause you just before you get into that one. Did you struggle anywhere bet between 2000 and, I guess, five? Um, and up till 2010, did you relapse into depression at all, or was it? fairly good during that time? Um, actually, I would call my journey not one of total relapse until 2010. Okay. But I learned actually enough over that time that I could kind of sense when things were heading in a bad direction and would then um, sure up my foundation and my support system and reach out and kind of I learned through 2004 um, how to keep myself from sliding into the non-functional phase of depression. Um, so, okay. yeah. Okay. So, do, okay, that makes sense. Then talk us through 2010. So 2010 had started... Um, Actually, I'd given birth to my third son in 2008, and soon after that, um, to make a long story short, um, my health had started declining, and we didn't really know why. Um, spring of 2010, I went to the doctor to get a second opinion, and within a few weeks, I uh, was scheduled for a partial hysterectomy. Um, we, at that time, did not realize how you know when you're when you start deteriorating physically sometimes it happens so slowly that you don't really realize how bad off you really are um, until you crash and so after that surgery um, number one we weren't prepared for the surgery like we should have been 
Uh, I went in in the morning and I was home by that afternoon and that's a major surgery. Um, I was told to take two days off work and in a week I'd never know that it happened. Um, it didn't go down like that and actually within the first week I was re-hospitalized for, for uncontrollable pain. Um, our entire family got food poisoning. Um, oh no! My mom who had come to help had a major health crisis while she was here and um, within two weeks I found myself sitting in a doctor's office again saying life is just looking unmanageable right now and um, so we started down the medication route and within a few days um, I was in the ER and my primary care doctor walked into the room and shut the door and said uh, I'm admitting you for psychiatric evaluation and the bottom pretty much fell out right there and um, when he said that when he said that what did yeah how did you respond internally what were you thinking when he said that that was probably w one of the lowest times of my life um, I was devastated um, I realized that even though I think because I thought if I had everything in place I could fix it and I, I could keep myself out of this place again and um, I didn't and so I was put in for psychiatric evaluation and was in the hospital I honestly Ezra at that point I don't remember weeks days even months um, sure. you know they worked with medication all kinds of medication and you know we entered this phase of trying this trying that it causing some of the very things it was supposed to pre prevent um, and so eventually they said really there's nothing we can do in fact when the psychiatrist came in uh, to talk to me he looked at me and said I can't help you and um, I was released wow, from the that's, yeah. that's not very encouraging no it's not <laughs> and so um, he sent me home and I came home with multiple bottles of pills and um, hoping that you know eventually I'd get better um, that paints a pretty dark picture and things felt really dark but um, you know I, I don't want to paint all of this my experience as being dark it w it was horribly dark but God used it in some of the most precious and life transforming moments of my life so I want to get to those in a second but but ju I just think it's important um, not to belabor this point but talk us through a typical day all right walk us through the beginning of, of the morning how and walk us through maybe some of the most basic tasks um, the difference of when you're depressed and you're doing those tasks as opposed to when you're not depressed doing those tasks what does that look like when you wake up in the morning to when you go to bed at night? Sure. When you first wake up in the morning, the best part of my day was about the two seconds, two to five seconds right after I came to consciousness. And then it was like this horrible blackness that you could almost feel would settle over you. And all you wanted to do is cry, except you'd, I cried so much I couldn't cry anymore. Um, 
so empty. And there were, uh, again, in 2010, my mother-in-law came. Um, actually, that whole situation, I ended up having to go live with them for a little while. Uh, just because I had small children and I ended up going through drug withdrawal and became a very angry person, uh, wanting to smash things. And so we just felt it was best that uh, my children not be exposed to that. And so my in-laws are just wonderful people and opened their home and I lived with them for quite some time. Um, but what the day would look like would typically be someone would have to say to me, okay, Marianne, it's time to get up and you need to get dressed and you need to take a shower and you need to wash your hair. I hate admitting that, but that's where that's where I was. And it was pretty much having somebody hold my hand and say, encourage me, you can, you can do this. And then just telling me, um, you know, how about, how about you fold a load of laundry this morning? Um, let's take a walk. Let's work on this. Um, because 2010 was so influenced by medication, um, I lost uh, my short-term memory. And um, through that time, and still struggle with it, with a, with it a bit, um, but really had I really had to focus on you like you have to deliberately focus on what you're doing uh, in doing this and it was um, you just do that every day and then people tell you to eat and what to eat and encourage you to eat more and drink and you feel for me uh, it felt like going back to being a child um, mm and just going through months that way and then eventually when you start when I started walking out of it um, started taking on more and more responsibility and that really was determined by my husband and my mother-in-law how much I take on and how much um, you know I couldn't be left alone for quite some time uh, you asked what some of the darkest moments were and um, those were the moments when. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I really honestly wow. believed that my family would be better off without me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's real. It's really tough to, to accept that you can actually identify, with people like Andrea Yates who drowns her five children. You know, what one time you were just horrified at, you know, how could people even be like that? And you come to this realization that, no, you you, you really understand. So, um... Like, what, what did this all do to your understanding of God? You know, you grew up in a strong Christian family. And was there, doing going through this time, was there anger at, like, God, what is happening? Why don't you show up and, and help? Like, what were you feeling, what were your feelings towards him? Um, looking back, maybe what, how can you see that grace that was in your life during that time? Sure. Maybe something that would, maybe something that would kind of help uh, explain where I was at that point. Um, God had had me on this, like, incredible journey since coming to him uh, at the age of 15, and so much was happening um, 
between God and I in the in the early 2000s. Um, when I came to Christ, I entered what I would what I have termed a performance-based model of Christianity. Um, that is that being a Christian means that there's a list of things that you do and there's a list of things that you don't do. And um, if you can check off the items on your list, you'll get to heaven. And if you can't or don't check off those items, then you don't. Um, really a model based on my performance being the determining factor of where I spent eternity. So over the years, um, those lists continually grew until honestly they became unbearable. And when I was, see, I was 23 years old. I had just entered grad school uh, when I came to the realization, or it became real to me, that being a Christian was about having a personal relationship with God, uh, a personal relationship that meant um, getting to know God on a personal level, like who he really is, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what makes God laugh, what, what makes him cry, uh, what makes him unique, really hearing God's heartbeat. Um, and the turning point was that fall, right after I entered grad school, uh, when I actually had the courage to look up one day and say, God, I'm not going to serve you anymore because I'm afraid of you. I couldn't do it. I, I emotionally had reached a point where I couldn't do that anymore. Um, and I'm going to serve you because I love you. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. But I'm just going to hold fast to you. And I can't tell you how revolutionary what that switch was for me from the performance-based model of Christianity to a relationship mar uh, model. Um, so that really marked a, really a point of tremendous change and, and great growth in my knowledge of who God was. Um, but that didn't undo years of wrong thinking patterns and unhealthy coping skills and unresolved um, childhood issues. Um, mm. And I really hadn't uh, weathered any significant storms from that point until 2004 um, or had that view of God tested. And so, honestly, I feel like going into these places, I was in a really good place spiritually, which I'm so thankful for. I cannot even imagine hitting those spots if my relationship with God had not been what it should be. Mm. So when I hit those, um, it, what, like, it was a, a huge test of faith. And I have come to the conclusion after walking through those, those times, every trial, test, um, challenge that we face, um, actually both God and Satan have um, a goal. God's goal is to refine and strengthen my faith during those times, and Satan's goal is to weaken and ultimately destroy my faith during those times. And I was able to, by God's help and surrounding myself by people who helped me focus on him and his goodness. And you've probably heard my husband talk about the four pillars of when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and everything seems uh, chaotic around you. Um, hold on to those four pillars. God is good. 
God always has my best interest at heart uh, by what he allows and what he does. God is wise. He never makes a mistake. What I'm facing, what I'm feeling isn't a mistake, and God is fully aware of where I'm at. Um, three, God is faithful. He always keeps his word. And when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he really, really means that. Uh, and number four, God is sovereign. There's nothing outside the bounds of his control, and nothing comes into my life that doesn't first have his permission and stamp of approval on it. Um, so those things, and, go ahead. Well, and so when you're going through days, how do you balance those two views? Maybe show us the difference between those of how maybe in your feelings, if that's the right word to use, that you feel um, God maybe is angry at you. I, I don't know. How, but describe how you're feeling about God and then um, the difference between with what you know, who you know God to be, what were the differences on some of those dark days, and how did you hold on to who God was despite what you felt? Um, that's a really good question. Um, one of the things that really helped me was in 2004 when my mother-in-law came to live with us to help take care of Alan. Um, of course, her background is in, she has a PhD in biology and biochemistry. So she was wonderful in helping me start learning how um, my thought patterns impact my emotions. Now, you cannot control what is happening to you hormonally. Okay, for instance, after having a baby, that's just not up to you. Right. But... What I learned is is maybe you can't make it better, but by how you fo by choosing what you focus on and what you think about, you can either help yourself or make it worse. And so she started talking to me about using, just for example, the weapon of praise. She said, Marianne, there is nothing that the devil hates more than hearing us praise God. And she said, here's what I want you to do. When you get up in the morning and you're saying, oh, God, I can't, I can't do today. I cannot. She said, you get up and the first thing, she said, just start. She talked to me about how chemical pathways are made in our brains and how by thinking, you know, by, by getting in these loops that tend to happen in depression um, can really get you in a very dark spot of replacing those thoughts with thoughts of praise. So, for example, here's how it looked like for me. I would wake up and I would say, even before I opened my eyes, say, oh God, thank you that I woke up um, in a warm house, laying in a comfortable bed with beautiful covers over me. And I would swing my legs out over the side of the bed and say, thank you for carpet. And Thank you for my curtains and my pictures and my husband. And just start taking control of my thoughts in such a way that I was talking to myself instead of listening to myself, if that makes sense. Um, because of what's happening in your body, things feel horrible 
And when you feel horrible, the temptation is is to, why do I feel this way? Oh, I feel so bad. I feel terrible. What if something's really wrong? And that's not helpful. Um, and so kind of like playing another track on top of that one of saying, no, I'm actually going to be talking to myself. And you, you hear, you, you see David doing this in the Psalms of why art thou cast down all my soul? Why, you know, you need to, you know, and he, he, he starts talking to himself and starts, and David is a very good example, okay? Um, he was such an encouragement. I'm like, oh, there's a guy who's hormonal. He understands what I've gone through. And um, watching his patterns of admitting how he feels, not denying that, but then saying, hope thou in God, uh, praising him. And so I would go through the day just doing that. About that same time, uh, somebody gave me the book, Loving God with All Your Mind by Elizabeth George. And I started learning about finally my brethren whatsoever things are true and catching myself uh, we we have actually developed a term in our family called the what-if disease dwelling on things that aren't true um, and my sister-in-law said to me you know Marianne God doesn't give us grace for our imaginations and he doesn't oh, that's a good line that's a good it line. really and that is so true you know and honestly uh, after having gone through all of this, um, just by thinking, I can cause myself to have a panic attack if I so desire. And just learning that, no, God actually has a lot to say about how we think, what we're to think on, the things that we're to dwell on, things that are praiseworthy, good report. Um, if there be any virtue, any praise, think on. These are the things that we're to think on. And so um, somebody that I had actually turned to for help said repeatedly to me, don't track your feelings, track your thoughts. And so I started doing that. And so there's this dichotomy of between what you feel and then what you know, and you start telling yourself. Um, just focusing on the things that are true about God. Yes, you're going to feel, you are going to feel like God has absolutely abandoned you. And if you don't believe where he's promised that he'll never leave you or forsake you, then there isn't any comfort in that. Uh, if you're going to determine your outlook based on your feelings, it's going to be pretty pretty dark. But um, What about... Uh, just tagging along with that, when you're experiencing all this, um, did you struggle to share with other people? Um, I, I ask that because sometimes I'll, I'll talk to people that um, struggle with depression. I just think even the last two months, I've probably had 10 conversations with people who have struggled with severe depression. And one of the things they, you know, that I hear is I can't share with people because they treat me differently afterwards. Yeah. Did you struggle with that? Well, what, how did you deal with that? I did. Um, most people, I think, because there is so much misunderstanding and even then disagreement about what causes depression, how you fix it, cure it, whatever, 
because there is so much stigma wrapped up in it, most people don't really want to touch it. Um, and so I had some people that I would share with and you could just see all of a sudden their eyes would get big and it was like, oh, we'll be praying for you. And you never saw them again. Um, yeah, because that's probably all they knew, right? Right, that's, that's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what I, what I have learned through this process is you have to understand where other people are coming from. Um, when you're looking at something that looks bigger than you, honestly, you tend to shy away from it. And so I never took it personally. Um, and then some people, then you have people who reach out and try to help, and they're really not that helpful. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, give me. Do you have just like one quick example? Or, or yeah. sure, I had yeah. um, at one of my pretty low spots in 2010. I had a wonderful, godly person say to me, um, who was I could tell very frustrated that I didn't seem to be getting any better. It had been months and months, and there seemed to be no progress. And the person said to me. Uh, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> well, number one, there's nowhere in, nowhere in Scripture that it says that. In fact, God says, without me, you can't do anything. Um, but that's just not helpful. Like, Wasn't somehow, that like Benjamin Franklin or something like that, too? <laughs> <laughs> like, somehow I could think my... Yeah. Somehow I, I could just pull myself up wow. by my bootstraps and get me out of right. this spot. Um but what I had to understand was, if you've never been there, it's very hard to it's very hard to understand. It's even hard for me to describe it. I mean, I can say the word darkness and extreme and lostness, but that means nothing uh, unless you've been there. And so what I had to do was say, I had a lot of well-meaning people around me, and their intention was to help. It really it was there. They didn't mean ill at all. Um, and so you just have to take it for what it is, but understand that you're not going to be able to talk to everybody and have them understand. What I found was the people who helped me the most were the people, number one, who weren't depressed at that point themselves, um, but people who had walked that road um, and could be empathetic while at the same time saying you can do this God is going to help you through this and what he's doing in your life is wonderful um, and honestly I think there's two people other than my husband um, who I felt really got it now you would think I know lots and lots of people but one was a lady in Florida who I don't think she ever called me. No, I'm pretty sure she never called me. But she would send me little newspaper clippings of happy stories or uh, something that she did was through my pastor's wife. She would send me a helium balloon um, every so often, just a smiley face helium balloon. or And I know that doesn't sound maybe helpful, but it was her way of reaching out and saying, it's not always going to be like this, and it's okay. Um, and 
that lifted me so much. I had another friend who had been through the same thing after open, an open heart surgery and knew exactly what I was going through. And she said to me, Marianne, when you sense that you're heading into a really bad spot, would you just call me so I can pray for you? And honestly, that's, that's, wow, that's great. I found that even sometimes when it was like, oh, I think I need to call Sonia. Just the thoughts of, I know she understands, I know she cares, was just a lift to my spirit. And But there has been a time or two where I have, I have done that. Or I have another friend who will just shoot me an email and say, um, you know, I read this in, in scripture this morning and thought of you and thought it would encourage you. Again, they weren't investing major amounts of time. They weren't doing huge things, but it meant so very, very much to me because I knew they knew exactly where I was at. And honestly, when you're going through that, you don't really want people to come out beside you and say, oh, I know it's terrible, it's horrible, I know the blackness. No, you want somebody to come alongside you and say, it's going to be okay. And God yeah. is going to help you through this. Um, it's a big thing that you don't want people to treat you differently. I, I mean, what I mean by that is you want encouragement, but it seems to me when I talk to some people that have struggled with depression, um, if people treat you so very differently and almost as though uh, with kid gloves in a sense yes. that you're this fragile um, and they stop maybe talking to you and, and telling you when you're wrong in some areas where they would have said that to you in the past. Yes. And and it and it make, kind of makes you feel um, less than whole at that point. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Does, does that make any yeah, sense? Absolutely. Um, you almost feel as though you've like sometimes got the, some kind of disease, you know? Um, right. Exactly. Or that yeah. by what they share, you're just going to fall apart on them or something, or you're going to say something inappropriate, or I, I don't I don't really know what they think. Um, and that was an area that I just had to, again, put the best construction on that I could um, and understand that people want to help, but it's really hard when you feel like you have no resources and that you don't even yeah. totally understand. And so honestly, I mean, having not, if I hadn't gone through this, would I be able to understand? I don't know that I would do any differently. I mean, I would, yeah, I would try. Great point. Yep. I would try yep. to, but again, it's, it's a, it's a very complicated topic and um, has a lots of nuances, and everybody's situation's a little different. So, it, you know, depression isn't something where you can just do a five-step program and that takes care of it. There's too many things going on on too many different levels um, to handle yeah. to handle it that way. So, so. I would say, you know, find two or three people. Um, and again, the lady in Florida, I never talked to. It was only, you know, through snail mail. Um, I don't, I don't think we even emailed at all. Um, but that meant so much. Or a friend who just came over and brought a bunch of like home house decorating magazines, and she says. Okay, if you could decorate a house, what would you do? Something, somebody who treats me like I'm normal. Wow. You know, yeah. and who yeah. who doesn't, and that that I think was 
one of the, the most helpful things of getting me back on my feet is reestablishing uh, re this sense of normal may not look like it did before this incident, but there will be a new normal that will be comfortable to me. And so those people who came alongside, who just made meals, um, because that was something that I couldn't do for quite some time, and my church family came together and for an entire summer cooked for Philip and my boys. I do not know what I would have done. Uh, even your mother, Debbie, came and cleaned my house and ironed my husband's shirts for weeks and months. Um, people who just came along and did the things that you couldn't do but didn't treat you as though there was something wrong with you. It was just, oh, you have other burdens to bear let, right now. Let's come alongside and help you with this and just be a support. Yeah, that's oh, that's such good advice. And, you know, we had uh, I took a I asked several people on Facebook just to comment if there's any questions that they had. And uh, let me just we're almost done for the, out of time here for the, for the day here. But uh, let me just ask you a couple quick questions, and maybe in 30 seconds or less, you know, maybe, maybe some of these deserve a little bit of a longer answer, but uh, let me just ask just a couple of these um, to you. Sure. Natasha, Natasha, she writes, when I notice that a family member seems depressed, how do I bring this up to them without offending them? You know, that is probably going to depend on the level of relationship that you have with that person in the first place. Um, but if you do have any kind of relationship, the best way, at least the way that was most helpful to me, was for people to say to me, um, I understand or I'm wondering if you're struggling right now. Um, and if there is, if there's anything that I can do um, to help. Now, sometimes that will make a person feel awkward because they don't really want to admit that and if you think that's the case and that they're not going to be open and share with you uh, ways that you can be helpful then probably just approach it something like hey I understand you're going through a rough spot and I am so sorry about that but I want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you consistently that God would um, just hold you close during this time um, that way you have communicated care, but you haven't stepped into their space necessarily. That they, you've at least opened an avenue of communication where they can, um, if they feel free to come to you later, um, they can. But at least they, you have communicated that you care and that you're aware of what's going on and that you're there if needs be. Along that same line, Sam writes, many might feel powerless to help a fellow family or a church member when they were struggling with depression. It's very prevalent, so how do I recognize signs and actively help others in the moment? That is really difficult because, um, as we talked before, there is functional depression and then there's non-functional. I think watching for things like um, a person's change in perhaps disposition, things that excited them don't excite them anymore, or they just can't seem to get motivated. Um, 
watching for things like that, watching for changes in behavior, eating patterns, sleeping, if they start saying about how they're exhausted all the time, um, those might be clues of mm, there might be might be a reason for starting to ask some questions um, of the person. And you know, I think because of the mental health crisis that is in the news nowadays, if you notice that in somebody you don't have a relationship with, I would encourage you actually to find somebody who is close to them and say, hey, I've noticed these things. Is that legitimate? Is something going on? Is there something that I could do? Um, that way, if people around them, you know, when you're with somebody all the time, sometimes it's hard. But if you don't see somebody on a regular basis, it's more evident. Um, and helping out of love for that person, kind of stepping in um, into that situation and and hopefully finding them help or hope. That's good. Um, just the last one here to wrap up. Emily, Victoria, Tim, Janelle, they kind of write, along the similar lines that they want to know how can we help um, whether it's pastors, ministry leaders, but specifically churches in general, um, how can we as members of the body of Christ, how can we help to make a difference so that our church is prepared to help those who are struggling with whether it's depression or other um, mental health issues? That's a good question. Um, I would say educate yourself, number one. Um, there are some good resources out there of learning how to reach out to people um, who find themselves in these uh, spaces. Um, let me think just a moment. Well, if you have any other thoughts on that, we can link to those in the show notes um, in the bottom, and so you're welcome to message those to me later, okay. All right. and uh, we can add those in as well. Um, let me just wrap up here with this thought. Um, We've talked about it a little bit, but just kind of the last question for the interview. How did you eventually get out of that hole of depression? And describe what that's like, and describe how life is for you right today. Right now, sure. Um, my way out was, um, number one, understanding uh, like the, just the basic chemistry and biology of the body like the mind-body connection, um, understanding how important it is to be eating right, sleeping well, um, exercising. Any book you read on depression is going to tell you you've got to start an exercise program. I hate that part of it, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> and so just understanding the basic components of um, depression and what it does and beginning steps. Um, and honestly, when people come to me and talk about it, I say the very first place to start is to get a physical done by a medical doctor because there's so many uh, things that like hypothyroidism can have a symptom of depression. You want to make sure that there actually maybe is something going on that is fixable more quickly um, than, a, than a depression diagnosis. So I would say understanding um, just the basics of that. Um, studying the mind-body connection, how much your thinking impacts your emotions. I mentioned before, like um, Loving God with All Your Mind, that book by Elizabeth George was just revolutionary 
Uh, to, My wife just did a study on that me. a couple of weeks ago at church. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just reading, getting, I think the, the third component for me was when you go through things like this, it does call into question, why does God allow suffering and pain and what is the purpose of life? Those were my big three things. And when I was in the midst of that, I started studying from different things like um, the knowledge of the holy, learning who God really is so that you can replace wrong th thought patterns or, or wrong beliefs about God with correct theology and right beliefs about God. Um, and again, if you, if you want to link to this, um, I read the book Mood Tides by Ron Horton. Just a biblical explanation of the emotional ebbs and flows of life from a biblical perspective. That was very helpful to me. Um, reading the book by Johnny Erickson Tata, When God Weeps, Why Our Suffering Matters to the Almighty. Um, listening to John Piper's sermons on Job. Um, listening to Jim Berg's uh, sermons on like the series of Joseph and Joseph's suffering and his studies of, of Ecclesiastes, you know. What's the theme of Ecclesiastes? Meaning and satisfaction are not found in any of life, life's components, but only in life's creator. Getting answers to these questions that are going to plague you the most during depression, then you can hang on to the truth for all it's worth um, another thing that I did was memorize scripture. Um, that was part of replacing that really bad track in my mind of just um, embracing, you know, scriptures like, um, oh, I will never leave the earth take thee from Hebrews 13.5. Another one that I just hung on to was Psalm 56.8. Uh, you've taken account of my wanderings and put my tears in your bottle. Uh, were they not in your book? Our tears matter to God. He wouldn't keep them if they didn't. He wouldn't write them down in a book if they didn't matter to him. I'm not facing this for nothing. God's intention is to bring me through this stronger and better. And so those things I did, and eventually normalcy starts coming back doesn't come back very at least for me it didn't come back very quickly not quickly enough um, you know the first year 2010 beginning of 2011 were really really bad and it took me almost three years to get to the point where I could even talk about some of that and a lot of it I can't even remember um, now, where I'm at now, life is much, much simpler than what it used to be. I have learned I cannot um, stretch myself too thin or things get really shaky. Um, things are better, <laughs> if I can say that. My life is not so hectic and frantic. I choose intentionally the things that are going to um, enable me to 
be the mother that I should be, to be the helpmeet in ministry and a wife to my husband. Uh, and that means I, I very prayerfully consider the things that I say yes to because every yes I say means I'm saying no to something else and I want to be saying yes to the best things. Um, yeah. Yeah. So self-care, making sure I get enough rest, making sure that I do right. Uh, I can tell it if I'm taking in. My body has become pretty sensitive, so if I take in too much caffeine now, I can tell it. It's like things are, things are different than they used to be. And um, what I have found is, is I live more intentionally than what I used to. I live in absolute awareness of my need of God. Um, and my relationship with Him is a priority, not just because of my spiritual walk, but my very stability depends on it. That comes first. Um, yeah. So my life now is different, but it's good. I can't tell you how good it is. Um, and there are times, even now, when I hit, not, I, since 2010, I haven't uh, hit a, a big black hole, but there have been times that have just been, uh, for instance, I have to be proactive after the holidays. Uh, big dips, you know, have a high, and you know, I know that a dip is coming and it's best to be prepared and so I prepare for those fall months when it's dreary and cloudy and cold and I'm cooped up a little bit more in the house. Uh, I, I know I have, to, I have to live intentionally. I have to be proactive. Um, no, that's great advice. That's so, that's so helpful. And, and I think that's encouraging to the person that's listening to this and they're going through that black hole right now. Um, as we close this out, close out with maybe a 30-second thought for the person that's struggling with depression right now, and they want to believe the hope that you're talking about, but honestly, right now, they just, uh, they don't feel it. Yeah. Um, what would you say to that person right now, just in closing? I think the hope that I could offer would be what I was given. It doesn't last forever. Um, and so, hanging on to the promises of God that through this dark place, no matter how long it lasts, God is going to be there, and he has good intentions of what he's wanting to do through this um, and open up avenues for you to learn things and to um, be usable in his kingdom in ways that you weren't before. Um, I would also encourage you to be easy on yourself. Um, I think a lot of people feel guilty and lazy because they're not productive like they used to be. And even God, even Jesus took time to rest and to come alone and get alone. And you don't need to look at that as being lazy. That is actually the time when you're refueling your soul and filling your emotional cup so that you have something to give. If you run on empty constant, constantly, you, you end up having nothing to give. And so um, giving yourself the space to just have a slower period and not be so hectic and, and 
push and try to hold yourself up to this standard um, of, I don't know, I'm, yeah. I'm a recovering perfectionist uh, and <laughs> had to hang up my attempt to be superwoman a long time ago. <laughs> and it was a good yeah. thing, a very good thing. Well, Marianne, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been very, very helpful. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for tackling um, a tough topic. But I feel like in this day and age when people are, we're surrounded by people who don't know God and are facing these very same things without Him, oh, what a hope we have of sharing the message of God is more than enough um, for any situation, for any circumstance that we find ourselves in. And what a ministry opportunity. Well said. Thank you very much again. Thank you. Well, wasn't that helpful? I was just remarking to my wife uh, when we concluded this podcast that that was probably one of the most um, interesting interviews I think I've ever done. Just so fascinating, and um, I really appreciate Marianne's honesty with everything. And uh, if you know of someone who's maybe going through a deep season of depression in their life, I hope that you pass this podcast along to them, and hopefully it'll be helpful. But until next time, my name's Ezra Beyer. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 